Hello and welcome to Full Circle Healthcare Podcast brought to you by MedSphere Systems Corporation. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. And today we're talking about what providers need to know about information blocking. And I am pleased to bring on our guest today, Nikki Anderson. She is the Director of Compliance, MedSphere Systems Corporation. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Michelle. It's nice to be here. Yes, well, we are going to jump into a lot of great information today. And uh, speaking of information, (laughs) let's start off by defining what we're talking about today, which is information blocking. So what exactly is information blocking and how does it occur? Okay, so information blocking is basically defined as any practice that is likely to interfere with, prevent, materially discourage, or otherwise inhibit the access exchange or use of electronic health information, or otherwise known as EHI. Um, How this occurs, and I'll give you a couple of examples, but typically if you are working with your developers or your health IT developer to restrict, intentionally restrict something um, from flowing from one system to another, uh, that could be a form of information blocking. If you have implemented a your health IT in a way that is non-standard, that's another way that you could be subject to an information blocking claim. Also, if you have worked with um, your health IT developer, for example, you have the ability to transmit certain information uh, via the portal, the patient portal, things like that, but you have configured a setting to turn that functionality off that could be posed as information blocking. Okay, so when we talk about information blocking, um, who does the rule apply to? So currently, basically, um, anybody in the healthcare forum, um, this includes health information exchanges, includes health information networks, uh, healthcare providers of all kinds, uh, health information technology companies. So, you know, we are included as well. Um, one thing to mention here is many people have reached out to me um, because the, the, the rule is complex and some, some information, as with any rule, is written rather vague. Um, and so they're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't participate in the QPP programs or I don't use a certified um, health IT. That doesn't really come into play here. So Anybody in the healthcare landscape is subject to information blocking, regardless if you're using certified technologies or not. So I did want to mention that um, because that question comes up a lot. So a lot of people affected by this. Let's talk about two things here. Are there any exceptions to this rule? And what are some of the penalties? Absolutely. Um, So there are eight uh, listed exceptions. Um, There is the invisibility infeasibility exception, there's a fees exception, there's a licensing exception, um, there are privacy and security exceptions. Um, I recommend that you would go re- you know, review those as you are um, developing and reviewing your, your policies and procedures. But however, you know, one that I will talk more about is your preventing harm exception. Um, and this is put into place to protect patients and, and you know, going back to HIPAA and their, and their rights. Um, So if you had a a patient that you felt um, by releasing this information would inflict harm, um, you know, you you would not be subject to information blocking. And and these come into play with, um, you know, your minors that are also at the age of consent. 
Um, and, you know, they may have sensitive information while, you know, there's other information that they don't mind sharing, but there's other information that they do not want their parents to know about. And so you still have to respect that. So these are exceptions that are put into play to protect um, and still it's, instill those protections of the privacy and security um, under the HIPAA law. Um, as far as penalties, um, currently they, the OIG, um, which is the uh, Office of the Inspector General, is empowered to um, issue uh, civil monetary penalties to the health, health information networks, um, the exchanges, and health IT developers. However, currently, as the rule says, um, there is no published penalty for providers, um, but we do anticipate by the end of 2022 that there will be some discreet language around uh, the penalties geared to providers. So the examples you're talking about, storylines that have gone on for quite a while and continue to go on, and of course, they vary by patient. So let me ask you this. Has there always been a concern in healthcare IT, or is this somewhat of a, a more recent development? So <clears throat> I think that, you know, the, the, the concern of healthcare, um, obviously, we want the flow of data to be there um, to make accurate and, and effective um, care decisions, you know, the medical decision making. And a lot of times what you see is you're you're making those decisions based on an incomplete record, right? You may not have all of the data in front of you. Um, and so there's some errors made. There's contraindications with medications that are made because, you know, providers didn't know that they were taking that medication or um, providers um, didn't know um, that they already had this lab result done or this test done. And so now the patient gets charged twice. So there's lots of different things that um, if you had that full transparency or that full flow of um, data. Um, and, and going back to, you know, 2003, you know, with the uh, initiation of HIPAA, um, a lot of that was around, you know, patients' access to data um, and getting their involvement and, and in their care decisions and um, giving them the right to see what doctors and clinicians are, um, you know, doing um, so that they have the ability to like, hey, that wasn't done. Or, um, you know, I had that done, you know, if I, if I had an MRI done, I could go and say, hey, can I get a copy of that MRI and take it to with me to another provider so I don't have, so he had that next provider has that information available to him when he sees me. So you, you see this a lot in specialties, right? So um, I see my family doc and they order a test because they know I'm going to need it. I go ahead and have it done. And then they send me to a specialist. Well, I don't want to repeat those same tests and procedures. So, you know, having that information available when I, with that care continuum is, is key. Um, so I don't think it's, you know, anything new. Um, we're just trying to, as we see things um, evolve with technology and those, um, we're making improvements upon that. You had mentioned evolution because, you know, everything is changing. Whatever you're talking about, technology, anything in the world, and, and specifically when it comes to um, anything in the IT world. So let's talk about the difference between what's required now 
versus October 6th, 2022? Great question. And this is one that I get a lot as well. Um, so when the rule first came out, um, you know, in that evolution and giving and giving providers and developer health IT developers and exchanges, these, these actors of what they're defined as, um, time to comply. Um, initially, through October 5th of 2022, it is defined as um, u- utilizing the USCDI data elements in version one. These are things like your allergies, um, your medication allergies, your drug class allergies, care team members, your clinical note types, which could include your discharge summaries, um, could include your laboratory report narratives, um, you know, to name a few. Um, also includes things like goals, uh, your patient health concerns, um, your immunizations, your procedures, your problem lists. Um, also includes your patient demographics, um, down to the, the granularization of, you know, the birth sex, um, previous addresses, phone numbers, things like that. Um, your provenance, which is your author um, timestamp and your author organization. Um, it also includes things like your smoking status, um, a unique identifier for implantable devices, uh, vital signs. This includes your blood pressure, your height, weight, your pulse ox. Also includes your pediatric percentiles for BMI, your head circumference, and your uh, weight for length. Um, so those those are routinely defined um, as the data elements that are represented from now until October 5th, um, you know, of 2022. After October 5th, 2022, so seamlessly starting on October 6th, um, it is defined um, as the full EHI, um, which is basically, it's defined as um, electronic protected health information, otherwise known as EPHI, um, to the extent that it would be included in the designated record set. And that's key here with HIPAA. Um, so HIPAA defines, you know, the DRS, which is your designated record set, and um, uses those terms um, in, in the law itself. But basically, it would include anything that you are capturing within the medical record um, that would be included in the designated record set. And that could be things like your billing information. Um, we didn't talk about that during, uh, when I was talking about USCDI. Um, it does, however, specifically exclude things like psychotherapy notes um, or any information that was captured in anticipation of a legal proceeding and things like that. Let me ask you this. Are there limitations that make information blocking an unfortunate norm? I mean, is that where we're going as we head into the future, especially specifically talking about the changes between October 5th and October 6th? (laughs) So, you know, in my opinion, the limitations occur uh, with the contrast. Um, So let me back up a minute. So there are a lot of um, comparisons and similarities between you know, different laws and regulations. And I've mentioned a few HIPAA and um, the information blocking rule. But there's also some contrast or we're maybe not contrast, but maybe, you know, there's some discrepancies between the two. So, for example, you know, in HIPAA, it it says that you may um, 
you know, transmit this information or you may share this information um, with a requester, you know, as long as the patient, um, you know, authorizes it, things like that. You know, with the information blocking rule, it kind of comes back and says, you must share this information. Um, you know, so I think, and, you know, in my opinion, I think that the, the, the disparities are around, I think we need more alignment between the different laws and regulations that are out there um, so that they're consistent. And, you know, you don't have to worry about, oh, did I violate this rule because I followed this rule and so to speak um, and so on. Um, there's also some things around, um, you know, the EHI export. You know, we talked about after October 6th. Um, you know, how does that look? You know, we have the new um, EHI export functionality that vendors have to certify to um, coming into 2023. You know, how does that look like in October 6th of 2022? And, you know, and then if we're certifying another um, measure later in 2023 around EHI, EHI export, um, and, and, you know, the standards used in both, you know, so I think, you know, that's where I think the limitations occur is just the alignment of the all of the different moving parts. Um, and I think if we could somehow, you know, fill those uh, disparities, I think we would, um, you know, get there quicker or faster, maybe. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you work with along the way and you you identify where your gaps are and then you make improvements. So this will be this is just another example of how we continue to evolve and, and make improvements where we see them. So let's talk about the future. And I'm going to ask for a two-pronged answer here. The topic at hand, of course, information blocking. So what do you think the future looks like in terms of both policy and technology? So First and foremost, I think, like I mentioned before, I think in the near future we're gonna we're gonna see some more language around the monetary penalties, uh, specifically to providers. Um, I also think that as vendors are required to develop towards the different, um, you know, fire standards or the fire APIs um, or transport standards is what I was trying to get to. Uh, we will start to see some additional information um, included. Uh, in the information blocking rule around uh, those changes. In addition, we're also closely looking at um, the the TEFCA, uh, Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement Initiative. Um, basically, it's a set of principles that is trying to support the development of a common agreement that would help enable a nationwide exchange of electronic health information. Um, so, I think with all of this, I think, you know, we're, we're getting to where we need to be. We're just not quite there yet. So do you think unfettered data exchange is the key to a more efficient healthcare system? Absolutely. Um, I think, of course, the idea is there. Um, like I mentioned before, uh, there are some disparities. Like we looked at um, uh, during, in, in, during the pandemic, uh, we saw that the platforms that patients were receiving care, uh, you know, they're not necessarily connecting all the time. So you had, you know, patients starting out with telehealth um, uh, services, and then they would go to a drive-through uh, test lab. 
and then they would get the results on their phone. Um, maybe they received follow-up care from a different provider. And then in fortunate event, if they went to the hospital and ended up being hospitalized, that may have been another platform that this information was being captured in. Um, so unless all of these different platforms had access to all of this data around that patient, um, you know, it's, th there could be a, a gap there. Um, we also see this on neighboring states. You know, you have the complexities of the, the state level, um, local level laws, uh, HIPAA security laws. Um, and you see this with neighboring states like Kansas and Missouri, and you've got cities that are right there on the border. Some patients go get their medications filled in one state versus their providers in another state. Um, you know, and for state level HIEs, you know, unless they're talking to each other, that, that care, that, that information um, isn't being exchanged. So, of course, you know, if we can get to a level like we talked about earlier, I had mentioned TEFCA and, and the idea behind that and becoming and, and getting to a nationwide uh, data exchange uh, would be great. Um, and obviously probably alleviate a lot of those um, obstacles that we saw during the, uh, the, during the pandemic with these different care platforms. So change is already in motion, whether people like it or not. So what do providers do now to ensure that they're ready? Um, for As far as information blocking, I think first and foremost, I would recommend that providers reach out to their EMR vendors um, and just, you know, just have that open discussion with them about, you know, making sure their vendor is compliant with their side of the information blocking rule. Secondly, um, I would also recommend that they review their policies and procedures to make sure that they are aligned um, with, with this new rule. Um, and if there are certain information, things like that they are restricting, um, with the examples I gave earlier, with sensitive information or with minor children that are at the age of consent, you know, make sure that those protocols are in your policies and procedures and make sure that your staff are all trained on those policies and procedures um, because the key thing here is going to be consistency. So, you know, you don't want to end up, you know, one, one staff member is doing one thing and another staff member is doing another thing. Also, I've, I've talked to many different people and, and um, many different practices and you know, having having a, a policy or having a document around anything that I restrict. So if I get a request for information and I deny that request, you know, have that fully documented as to why, you know, do a, do an analysis to see, did I restrict it based on one of those eight exceptions that I mentioned earlier? Um, and if you're doing that up front, then, you know, if you do get a claim, um, you know, submitted about you, at least you have your documentation to refer back to as to why, and, and this is how you felt, um, you know, you felt that it met this, this exception. Um, and, you know, it makes sure it's a lot easier to do that up front at the time than trying to do that later on um, after the claim has been filed. Great information, Nikki. A lot of territory covered, of course, and some people might have questions out there. Is there a place that they can go to find more information about what we've discussed today? Absolutely. You're always more than welcome to visit our website at medsphere.com. Perfect. A lot of great information, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining me. Nikki Anderson, Director of Compliance, MedSphere Systems Corporation. Pleasure to have you and a lot of great info that a lot of people need to hear because, as you said, changes are coming. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
And thank you for listening to Full Circle Healthcare Podcast brought to you by MedSphere Systems Corporation. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and we hope to see you soon.